they are the fabulous learning nerds Cause if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done You've got the fabulous learning nerds Scott, Dan, and Abby are making it fun The best ideas that you've ever heard So everybody spread the word They're gonna keep you wheels turning The fabulous learning nerds Fabulous learning nerds Oh yeah! Hey everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of your Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm Scott Schutte, your host, and with us this week, you'll love him. He's the man in charge, Dan Coonrod, everybody. Dan the man. Oh yeah. <laughs> Wait, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm the man in charge? Today you are, yes. Hmm, I don't, I, I don't know if I want that. <laughs> you, know, you want that? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want it today. That's why I gave it to you, sir. I gave it to you. <laughs> there it is. How are you doing, Dan? I mean, I think you know. I think you know. Oh, yeah. Fair to Midland. Man, there it is. Um, that we should have a Fair to Midland show. That, that we should just have an entire show where we talk about what it means to be fair to Midland. I mean, I'm not opposed to that. I I dig that. Yeah, I think it would yeah, be I do. cool. Because I I mean I'm sure we're getting thousands upon thousands of emails. People going, "What the hell are you guys talking about?" And we just, just overflowing, pretty much. Yeah. So that's that's groovy, groovy, <laughs> cool. And the holidays are officially over in snow. Real life begins, which I actually kind of enjoy. Although first quarter one for me has been insane. I don't know about you. Um, you know, I tell you what, it's been. I mean, it's been busy, but you know, it's been busy in like a good way. Like I, I, I hesitate to call it insane. I, it feels like, you know, when you're driving and you've got enough road to kind of unwind on and like, you're finally like getting up to cruising speed, which is nice. Which that is, is nice. nice. I like that. That works for me. All right, everybody. Hey, listen, we've got um, way more important things to talk about than what it means to be fair Midland or uh, just cruising down the highway. So um without further ado let's go ahead and introduce our special guest this week with a little uh, chapter that we call what's your deal hey man what's your deal bill good morning scott and dan pleasure to be here what's your deal my friend Oh, my deal is uh, being on the older side. I've had a lot of sub deals, lots of things going on. So, so I'm going to just kind of give you a snapshot of my background, so you'll know where my thought process and worldview come from. Love it. So, okay, so let let's start. Uh, I'm not going to mention any dates, but way back when I graduated from public high school in East Providence, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Went on to Dartmouth College, where I uh, was a pre-med with a major in psychology. Uh, things were hot and heavy then. was going to get uh, drafted. So I ended up going into OCS in the Army, spent four years uh, as a captain in the Ordnance Corps with commands overseas and back here in the States. Came back, got a doctorate in uh, clinical psychology from George Washington University with a focus on families and kids. Um, 
spent about nine years at that private practice on the staff of a psychiatric hospital for kids and actually burned out uh, working with kids every day who are and families who are really in pain. And I said, you know what? I'm taking this home. It's not fair to my my kids and my my family. So I was really fortunate. I, I got hired by a fellow by the name of David McClellan and his consulting firm. And David was the head of psychology at Harvard. And he was one of the world's foremost motivation and competency researchers. And this was international. So he was very interested in, in figuring out what made people competent, what drove them to uh, you know, do the things they do and have different worldviews along the way. And I stand on his shoulders in terms of having learned how to assess competence and really figure that out primarily for businesses, but for the military and so forth. So I worked for uh, I, I worked for Dr. McClellan for about four years and then foolishly said, I can do this and I can do it just as well, if not better than you. And so I quit to compete. Uh, it turned out it worked out okay. And I had a national management consulting firm, I did work. I had the Navy's contract to do their leadership research and development work. I worked for Anheuser-Busch, AT&T, Citicorp, HP, Entergy Corporation, New York Stock Exchange, Major League Baseball. So I did a lot of stuff. And then I got to the point where I was tired of living on airplanes. You know, as a consultant, that's you're, you're gone all the time. And at that point in time, I connected with a fellow by the name of Joe DiMartino. People in education, a number may have run into him, but we co-founded the Center for Secondary School Redesign. Joe was the head of high school redesign for the Brown University Education Alliance. And he was leaving there, and I had done some work for them. And we just clicked and we we probably worked in over the last 16 years or so we sunsetted it two years ago um but at least 20 different states and going in and trying to help turn school districts around or enhance them his specialty and we had another dozen or so people working for us his specialty was more on the classroom practice side the personalization the advisories, uh, you know, things along those lines. For me, it's always been leader development and organization development. You know, how do you build capacity at the individual team and organization level so that the people perform better? Uh, and then, and I hope I'm not running on too long. No, it's uh, all right. Okay. Then, then uh, when we sunsetted the company, I had seen that leadership was everything. Um, you can have all the best practices for kids. You can have the best teachers. But if the leaders don't create the conditions for people to thrive, uh, for faculty to thrive, for support staff to thrive, you're, you're not going to make it. And, and as you can see, we've spent in the last 10 or 15 years at least 10 or 15 billion dollars on education with zero results. You know, school improvement grants race to the top, innovation grants, none of it works. So to, to summarize things, well, along the way, I was on the, uh, had in uh, positions at five universities as well. Um, so leadership is my deal. 
And that, that started with me being the equipment manager in second grade, making sure all the balls came in from the playground and stuff. But I've always held leadership positions, uh, fascinated by it, and have been focusing on it ever, particularly since I worked for McClellan and, and his Harvard group. Um, but that was bringing behavioral science to it. So what we would do, and I did for, and I've done for over 40 years every year, is go out and study the difference between superstar leaders and average leaders. And I've done that in, in every sector. So that's what brings me here today. And the new company I started was called the Bryan Group, and it was to hire the best senior leaders possible in education. So I hire, help hire, get hired by school boards to find superintendents and have, I think it's six searches going on right now for superintendents, was just invited to uh, put in a proposal, hopefully we get it this week, for the chancellor of higher ed in Nevada. And so that that's it. I can count on one hand the number of times in almost 50 years of consulting now that leadership wasn't the issue when I was called in to help turn things around or fix things. Uh, not money, not staffing, leadership. So that that's my deal. Scott. I love it. I love it. Okay. That's an awesome so, deal. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I am. I'm jonesing to talk about leadership. Twist my arm. Um, to talk about, <laughs> about leadership, and I I completely agree with you. And so, with that, everybody, let's go ahead and, and dive into some leadership with our topic of the week. Okay, this morning we're going to be chatting a little bit about leader selection and capacity building, and that was kind of different from uh, what drives um, affected. Uh, leaders. So why don't we start there? This whole idea of, you know, what what is this whole idea around leader selection? Why is it so important? Well, as noted, Scott, uh, and this is very true, the impact of leaders cannot be underestimated. When you bring a, like a new leader into an organization, a new leader can literally, small or large, destroy the organization in three to six months. Uh, and then, unfortunately, depending on the size of the organization, it can take anywhere from three to 10 years to turn it back around again. So uh, you know, look at politics, look, look at all the places where leaders are, are messing up and you can see the disaster, the conflict that arises, the, the inappropriate use of resources. All of these happen. So once again, it can't be underestimated. And. It's not what people typically think about. Uh, you go to your leadership training and they say, you know what, uh, Bill, you're going to be a terrific leader, a fantastic leader. If you just do what Scott does when he's leading a group or a team, or you do what Dan does. And guess what? The person's pumped up four to six weeks later, they're back to where they were. You can't get people to change their thoughts, feelings, behavior, habits by just pointing out models. And that's where 99.9% .9 of leadership training is. Leadership has a DNA component to it. It's all about developing mindset and it's an influence mindset. Effective leaders uh, are influence oriented, 
day in and day out. When they look at people, they look at teams, they look at organizations and groups, they want to change how people in those organizations are thinking, feeling, and doing in every situation. They walk into a meeting and they say, oh, I'm going to be meeting with Scott and Dan today, and this is how I want them to leave the meeting, seeing the world differently. That's very different than the person who goes in with their punch list of tasks to do. Okay, we're going to do these tasks today. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. As a matter of fact, you're probably, and then I'll give you a chance to ask some more questions, but you're probably familiar with the uh, Peter principle. You rise to the level of your incompetence, right? Okay, no modesty here at all, guys. Um, The Brian principle is you rise to your level of the inability to influence. And I've seen this, I've studied it in every organization. So that's the ceiling, whether it's male or female. And it doesn't differ, by the way. Um, It differs only women will demonstrate influence differently, but that influence thinking, wanting to have an impact on how people see things, feel things, do things is the same. I like how you talk about that. You rise to your level of influence. It it begs a question for me, like, what if I want to raise my level of influence, right? So can that be something that's taught or is that uniquely inherent in who I am? Uh, Challenges if your DNA doesn't have it in it uh, to start with. You don't. And and once again, it's there. And unfortunately, in education and knowing your interest in education, that leadership DNA is only about a fifth what you will find in leaders in other sectors. And that's because people go into education not to lead, but to teach. And so their orientation is very, very different. Uh, and, And what you will find, unfortunately, is the profile of the good teacher is the same profile as the superintendent of schools or principals. That's a disaster, it doesn't work. Um, whereas in every other sector, as you go from level to level, you will see the influence thinking in that person, the influence mindsets getting greater, greater, and greater. And what we try to convince people to do is when people get on the job, whether it's a teacher or somebody else, uh, if they have any inclination, even if they don't have the DNA, but they look out there and say, you know, I'm really interested. I, I would like to become a team leader and then maybe move up the chain here somehow. Uh, But the issue is you can't be giving them the same old training. It has to be mindset training. And that's very, very different. And I think the best way to describe that is, have you ever tried to learn a new language? Yes. Yes. Hard, particularly if as an adult, you try to to learn it because you had already set mindsets uh, as to how you look at things. So the first thing you do is you have to learn uh, you know, the, the different words, the phrases, the meanings. And we know that language training really only works best if it's immersion based. Yeah, you go in and you learn a little bit about conjugation of the verbs. You learn some of the, you know, the, the, uh, the greetings and just common everyday stuff. But you are really changing. You need a different mindset. So when you hear the different words, different images, so forth. And so you learn something new, you go out, you try it, and you come back with a coach. Coaching is essential to helping mindset change. It can't be just read the book, look at what Scott or Dan does, and you try it. Now, it's got to be living it, feeling it. And and then coaching is not 
does not work as it does on something more technical where weekly you go in for training. I'm going to learn today how to do something different. Um, if you're in special ed, I'm going to learn today how to do IEPs better. Okay, this is what you do. You do some role playing with parents. You do this sort of stuff. Um, no, uh, it, it, it just doesn't work that way. It, once again, on the coaching side, it's demand driven. So you teach the person to say, hey, listen, I've got a huge meeting come up. I've got to have an impact. I've got to inspire and motivate people. I've got some people like Dan who doesn't follow instructions very well. And we and we've got and we've True got story. To, <laughs> and so we've got I want him to at least comply when he leaves the meeting. So then you start talking about what's the mindset here. If you want to be a better influencer, how do you have how do you have to think, feel, and act differently walking in there? Do you now just like simple things? write a influence-based agenda for this meeting versus a task-based agenda. In other words, think about items on the agenda from what's the most impactful item to people in the room and people outside the room. Next most important, next most important. So there's little things you can do, but think about learning a language to get really fluent. You want the language of influence, and it's a whole different thing. Man, this really strikes home. When I was a new leader, I probably spent almost two years trying to be leaders like I saw around me and leaders like I read about in books. And most of those models were very directorial leaders. Like I said, go do this, so go do that. And I really struggled. My 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 personal leadership style is much more inspirational. Like I'm going to inspire people to go do things rather than tell them, inspire right. them to take that next step so that I don't have to like babysit because I hate babysitting. Mm -hmm. um, and after I, after that finally clicked, like I became, I think a much better leader. I enjoyed it much more. I was able to like relax a lot more. You know, my workplace was still like stressful. Every workplace is stressful, but like my love for like my being a leader, my team, the people who I was responsible for, the, the people who were expecting things from my team mm -hmm. got way better, way better. Yep. So like, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a real mind shift to get to that new mindset. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it's like a, you know, a light bulb gets turned on all of a sudden it starts to make sense. Now coaches can help, you know, move that along more quickly. Uh, but for some folks, uh, one of the things that that's, that's hard is that, because you have these dispositions, DNA-based, for different things, you know, uh, how high is your need for relationships? How high is your need for task accomplishment? How high is your need for altruism or values? Uh, how high is your need for influence? All, all these, you have these different need sets, different mindsets, and each one of them takes a chunk of your energy, and it's comfortable. And as a matter of fact, from a brain science point of view, which, which I'm doing a lot more research into because I'm trying to tie right now brain structure and chemistry to competence and, and try to get more of that into some of this stuff. Um, when you have a set of places that you're comfortable and that's where your energy goes and somebody says, OK, new mindset time, you have to redirect energy. And that's really hard. And so some people, if you don't have some disposition to 
think in a certain way, like influence or relationship or whatever it may be, you have to pull energy away from the things that you are comfortable with. And when you do that, your brain literally, this is like building a new habit, your brain, there's a section of the brain that literally says, whoa, stop, don't do that. Don't do that. And even though you may be getting the outcomes you want, you're still damn uncomfortable. And and for a long time until you've practiced it and done it over and over. Because part of the problem here is those other needs, you're building a new need in, a new mindset in that takes energy. The other mindsets don't go away. They're still saying, hey, give me some energy. So not only are you trying to put energy into a new way of seeing the world, you're taking it away from what makes you comfortable. So, you know, being human is crazy. Um, how people adapt at all at times, it's only when a torch is really turned up and, and you know, they're feeling the heat and they're forced to is, is when most change takes place. I love that. First off, I think we need that on a shirt. Being human is crazy. And yeah, 100%. Like, I think you explained that super well. Like, I mean, personally speaking, I know my moments of greatest fundamental change have come from under the gun, so to speak, you know, with that, with that fire lit or anything. I I heard somebody talk, they were talking about like the, the brain science behind learning. And uh, they were like, the brain is essentially a lazy organ. And it wants you, it wants to like know what it knows and then be good with that. That's what the brain wants. And so anytime you're telling the brain, hey, you got to go learn new stuff, it's it's going to fight you. It's forgetting curves, the whole nine yards. But yeah, yeah. I love to see that that like extends just into processes. And then so you say into like, hey, I need to learn a new way to like be a leader. I need to learn these new things. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Dan, you're right on. It's conservation of energy. Yeah, that, that's, that's kept us alive. So in some respects, change is, is fighting your own nature. Uh, you know, day in and day out. Uh, to to the brain science side, it's fascinating because the the way that you help people understand their worldview, how they think, feel, and behave, is something called guided storytelling. Most interviewing is a waste of time when you're trying to select people. So I'm out there trying to select superstar leaders uh, and bring them in. Um, and the only way you can find that is through storytelling, but not just sitting around the campfire. It's storytelling based on high emotional impact events, because those are the only things that allow you to get really deep and into the subconscious, uh, into you know forgotten memories. And when you get people to articulate things at a really detailed level, do things uh, happen? And, and here's the science behind that. Uh, some poor graduate students, they probably couldn't do this today because of the ethics involved, but this was a long time ago. <laughs> they, they, they bring they, for all those pesky ethics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, don't, you know, don't, don't confuse me, please. Um, <laughs> so, so the, you know, the graduate students are doing the study for the profs and they bring in undergrad, poor undergraduate students, and they put them in two groups. And one of them reads, you know, very bland stories about Farmer Brown and whatever, and you know, the, the his wife and kids, and you know what it's like, and so forth. The other group reads about horrible car crashes, and it's terrible. And so they bring 
people back two weeks later and they asked the Farmer Brown group and the car crash group to recall the story. So who recalls the stories they read? I mean, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So they said, yeah, no big surprise. Right. So they're trying to figure out what's going on as a mechanism, you know, the chemistry, brain chemistry. So they bring in another group and they give one group um, a placebo and the other group, they give the ones that are going to read the car stories a- an adrenaline blocker. They read the stories again. Two weeks later, they bring them in, and the remembering is exactly the same. So they identified that adrenaline was, in fact, what builds that really acute, you know, really clear diagram, hologram in your head of the event. So when we start talking about this guided storytelling, it's me asking you, hey, Dan, go back and think about something that really has stuck with you that was on an upside. And guess what? It doesn't matter what it is, because competence travels, thinking process travels from event to event. And then I get a couple downers. Tell me about something you were a part of that just didn't turn out the way you wanted it to, you know, over budget, uh, whatever the case may be. So you get a series of up events, down events, but once again, in super detail. So, Dan, you're telling me about a position that you were in where you knew you could have knocked the socks off of that bottom line or, you know, getting outcomes that you were looking for. If you just had a million bucks and you could bring in some programs and you could buy some equipment, do this, do that. And so you start telling me the story and I'm getting it in detail. And I say, well, you know, take me back. What's our anchoring point here to get this? Well, I'll I'll be a son of a gun. I read an article about so-and-so doing something different in their job that's just like mine. I say, stop. Recall that. What did you read? Tell me about it. What did you feel when you read that? What did you do next? Oh, what I did next was I went out and I did more research. Well, you said you did more research. Describe that. What did you do? I, well, I went to the library. No, no. Tell me more. When you say you went to the library, what did you do? Well, I identified the library where I could probably find the resources I needed for this type of art. Okay, great. So then you fast forward, but you're, you're getting people through this, telling you and retelling you. Well, I knew I had to talk to my boss uh, about um, you know, getting the funds to do this. Talk to your boss, recreate the conversation for me, please. What did you say? What did she say? Okay, you left the office. What were you feeling? Well, I was a little discouraged because she wasn't that, you know, behind. When you say she wasn't behind it, what did you see? What did she say? Uh, So it's on and on. So let's get to the point where you're about ready to walk into because your boss has said you've got to bring this to the to the big chief and the board. So you're about ready. You say, hey, Bill, I was going to walk into the boardroom and I was going to get do my pitch. And so, uh, so I say, uh, uh, so I'm walking in. No, no, Dan, back up. Your hand's on the doorknob. What were you feeling? What do you mean what I was feeling? I, I was feeling fine. No, I was cool. I, I, had, I had some facts and figures in front of me. And, you know, I, so I say, okay, walk in the room. What did you do? Um, okay, I just saw there was an empty chair. I went in and sat down. Okay, that's a task-oriented person. 
the influencer-oriented person, I asked the same question, your hands on the doorknob, what, what were you feeling? I was feeling anxious because I didn't know all the players in there. I studied the heck out of them. I knew what this one liked. It didn't. I knew how this one voted on the last request for money, but I didn't know this. I say, okay, fine. You open the door. What did you see? Uh, I, I, I saw a room that was different than I expected. There was, there were two people there that it was a curve for me. I didn't know them. And there were a couple chairs there. And I saying to myself, well, who should I sit next to so that I can get their ear maybe as we're going through this process? You know, the influence orientation, the studying for influence versus the task person who just says, well, I did my homework, you know, what the heck? Uh, you know, I got my numbers, fine. So the storytelling reveals these different mindsets, where the energy is going, what their filters on the world are. And what I'm always looking for when I'm hiring people is, is that influence filter. I absolutely love that, Bill. You're singing my song up and down. I, <clears throat> for years, uh, hiring instructional designers, I've hired a lot of non-traditional instructional designers, people who have mm -hmm. come to the profession from weird places. And that's the thing that I'm always looking for is like, can you tell me the story of why you want to be here? Can you tell me the story of how you got here? Because if you can tell me that story and it can click with me and I can remember things, I know you'll be able to create like engaging content. I know that like you've got the basics down to move to like, hey, can you build learning that people will remember? Can you beat the forgetting curve? And to hear you say like, hey, this is how we find leaders is this interview process where we're, they're telling us stories. As a storyteller, I'm a bit biased. Of course, I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> but more importantly, like you're, you're walking through it and like I could... I can see like why you're asking these questions, like the emotions that you're pulling out of people to like see those connections and to like decide like, okay, like you're task oriented, you're influence oriented. I love it. hundred yeah. percent. I love it. Let me ask you like a, a quick follow-up and maybe, maybe a, a chain. Sure. As, as you guys have been in the education sector, we led at the beginning of this and you said like, so much money is just getting thrown away because we've got poor leaders there. Mm -hmm. And you talked about like, hey, the poor leaders there are because like we hired a teacher, we promoted a teacher, we moved a teacher. At no point did we turn them into a leader. We just kept saying, hey, you're a teacher, you're a teacher, you're a teacher. What do you mean you can't be a superintendent? Like what happened? Yeah. Can you talk about maybe like just briefly like on that journey and like how you help change somebody you've talked about mindsets but maybe a little bit more in depth on like how you get somebody from that i'll stay in the education space i'm a teacher into i'm a superintendent and like what that what that looks like yeah it's really difficult you, you need to find somebody teacher wise because you can be a super teacher and just a lousy superintendent because the, the, those motivational driver profiles, those mindsets are so different. So what you're looking for is somebody that already has an idea that maybe they want to be an influencer. You've probably seen in public schools that a lot of coaches become administrators. And the coaches tend to have more natural influence. Uh, in their mindset, you know, in terms of pumping up kids and, you know, 
setting goals and doing that stuff. So you're looking for a disposition where that might be there. And you start putting people through some orientation programs, just like our program together today. My talking with you and Scott um, in terms of saying, is this of interest to you? Because if you can get the person all of a sudden for the lights to go on, that I need to see the world differently, and then you can help them, you know, with small tasks on how to be a little more influential here, and then you keep building it. Um, and all of a sudden, if when the lights are really on and they're getting some success, you know, credibility is building over a different thought process. The immersion is working. Then you can start using tools. For example, there are 17 different influence levers that people have to recognize. Why would anybody pay attention to you? You only have influence if somebody gives it to you. It's not like other types of expertise where you're an expert and you can actually do things. No, you, you know, as, as an influencer, as a leader, you know, you can try all your things and you're not influential at all. They, they close the door on you and they say, get the heck out of here. Uh, <laughs> they, they're not they're not interested in you, you at all. Uh, and it's all about understanding the cues and everything else that's going on. I, I got the biggest kick out of it when I switched over from this national business consulting firm to uh, saying, you know, I want to do something a little more socially redeeming, you know, started this secondary school redesign firm. Um, I, I, I couldn't figure out why the teachers and administrators would sit there when I'd come in and talk about things. I had, you know, decades of history of helping people in different sectors change. The, the educators weren't interested in listening to me. And I'm saying, where, why don't I have an influence lever? I finally realized the only influence lever I had that they would listen to Educators are wonderful, but very narrow scope of thinking uh, was that when I mentioned that I had been married, uh, I was married for decades and still am to a third grade teacher. Oh, wonderful. You're one of us. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so all of a sudden the mind's opening to be influenced by me. But I didn't know that I had that lever. Uh, to use until I just, you know, just had to sit down and say, why can I not connect with these people? I'm giving them examples. I'm doing anecdotes. I'm telling them stories. It's not clicking. Oh, the relationship stuff was that was the door opener to their mindsets. So you have 17 of these different types of door openers that you have to go through. It's kind of a mantra. And, and the first one is how similar am I in, in experience, similarity. So why is it that, that alcoholics only listen to other alcoholics? You know, it's that shared experience. So, and that's such human nature again. So if you don't understand all these points of clicking with people so they'll have an open mind and allow you to influence them, then, then you're lost. Once you know how these 17 different levers work. So it goes from being open to a mindset about influence. When you're open, let's start now, get more sophisticated about what are the levers you use to influence. And then with each of those levers, there's specific, you know, influence skills and strategies. And I have something called the nifty 50 and there's 50 influence skills and strategies. So you're getting more and more sophisticated over time, whether it's a teacher and they go from teacher to teacher leader, which as a teacher leader of these 
you know, particular levers can you use and which are the skills and strategies that go with them. But you can start teaching them then because they've refocused their energy and their view as to what's important. Okay. Did I hear you correctly? Like the number one lever or is that just an example was on relationship? No, similarity. Similarity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you're looking, you know, this is all the armpit sniffing that goes on when people meet, right? Right. Oh, you've got two kids. I've got two kids. They went to that university. Oh, my daughter applied to that. You know, you know, it's it's all of that thing. It's all about trust. Yeah, I, I only bring that up because sometimes I struggle with there. There are a lot of people that I that I, uh, you know, that I have to work with and or get things done. And I to me, that kind of all boils, boils down to being vulnerable. Right. And it's really a challenge. I'm finding it's really a challenge when you've got a team of people that are just, oh my goodness, um, allergic to vulnerability. Like I've seen it. Like, yeah, I'm done sharing now. Like I'm not going to share. Because if I let you in and you don't like me, then I have nothing, right? Which isn't true at all. It's not true at all. Like one of the things that's really awesome about DEI is this idea that, you know, we're all different and that's great. And we can all celebrate our differences and that's great and be better for it. Vulnerability is such a key factor for leadership, whether that's finding similarities or being open to where people are at or, hey, um, I can tell that you're not feeling great today. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it, it was easy when you, and you mentioned, you know, this idea of just, you know, being task oriented. I would call that functional leadership. It's easy to just be like, hey, um, all I want to do is deliver to my stakeholders and we're going to do these tasks to get it done. Though I think those days are pretty much done. Would you agree, disagree, or any comments on that? Um, it just depends the context. There, okay. are, there are situations I've gone into where I wouldn't allow one shred of vulnerability to be shown because they were looking for somebody to be strong and and directive and you know boom 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 the the issue here is i say the majority of cases scott you're right but admitting vulnerability is one of the 50 uh, influence strategies the issue always is intentionality before i walk in the room with those people i'm i'm saying which of these strategies am i going to use you know where where do i have leverage what's going to open them up what's going to want have them want to follow me up the hill, over the hill, into battle. Uh, but that the problem with it that makes it so complex is it's different person by person and day to day. So what somebody might be influenced in today may not be the same thing as tomorrow, although obviously there's patterns of behavior in people. So your influencers have a toolkit with a thousand different things in it, different mindset, different filters, um, and they've got to be really facile in terms of, I guess I would call it influence fluency. In other words, here's the situation. What are all the tools I've got available? What's going to get me the most payoff? But it has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. So you can be go in and do the right thing just because you're clued in for a certain reason. This is why in education, you'll find the few and far between superstar leader who goes in and turns a school around superstar principal. And, and in two years, student scores are up, morale's up and they leave. And what happens? It goes usually most of the time, right back to where it was before. The reason being that that leader didn't understand 
because it was so it was just happened to be natural to them and from the DNA perspective, they didn't understand what they were doing to impact climate, culture, how people felt about things, and they didn't develop people to to be a model of them because they really didn't understand the behavioral science of leadership and what their role was to bring others along to 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 be superstars. Um, and you know, it's the day-to-day challenge that we face. And by the way, I'm not saying because there's a shortage of leaders, you know, like four or five times in education that there are a great number of leaders in in business and military and nonprofit. Uh, when you study them, only about oh, 20 to 25 percent will really be really good leaders, good users of influence. Most people who have high influence needs are jerks. They're they're using <laughs> influence. They're using influence because of self-aggrandizement, look at me, ego. So, you know, it's this really rare balance of a need for influence with with caring, having a high concern for for the, you know, how others are, how they grow, you know, how, how they're valued. If you look at the just the basics, people want to be heard, valued, and taken care of. Good leaders understand those needs. And that's another filter before they go into anything. How you know, am I going to make sure that people are feeling heard, valued, and cared for? And then the other thing you're thinking about, intentionality-wise, again, is that's one need set. The second set of needs is for, for people's sense, uh, 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 for themselves, which is the need for a sense of competence, a need a sense of control, and I need a sense of authenticity. In other words, the work that I'm doing is in sync with my personal beliefs and values. So the leader is always got to be in tune with those two neat personal need sets, and they never go away. Fascinating. Fascinating. That, that's that's great. You know, one of the things you mentioned at the outset of the conversation was this idea that, oh, my goodness, you know, Einstein, really super smart guy, smarter than me. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. So why, why is it that we continually go down this path and, you know, continue continue to pick the wrong solution? It's back to, again, can't, can't break out a mindset. They've never been given a different path. Um and so I'll, I'll give you a classic example, no names, no states, but in one state, because of COVID and everybody saying, oh, my goodness, the uh, learning loss with the kids is horrible. How are we going to do learning recovery? What are we going to do? You know, how are we going to manage all the stress that's going on for faculty, kids, parents? And so this person put out a 73 page recovery plan. And in those 73 pages, there was one paragraph on leadership and not the type of leadership we're talking about, one paragraph. So what would have happened if that were implemented, which I think they probably tried, is more burden on teachers. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, it's just just insane. It, it, in other words, it, it's once again, people keeping getting promoted for their task performance not their influence performance. And so you look like a superstar at this level, this level, but you know you rise to your level of your inability to influence. Uh, and, and that's what's going on over and over again and the inability to change mindsets. How, how many times have you heard in, um, leadership defined the way I'm, I'm talking about it today? You know, probably you know, not I'll, very often. 
I'll, yeah. I'll tell you, like I've been, I, I've worked at a place where influence was uh, a primary goal that they wanted leaders to a skill to practice. But I'll, in truth, it was always like, go be more influential. Okay, how do I do it? Like, just go hang out with people, and it was like, okay, but but what is what do I need to do? And so for you to talk about a system of building influence is awesome because too often I find, <clears throat> I think you said it. When a leader runs out of influence, they begin to just direct, like just tasks, give tasks. Like I've run out of influence. I'm now giving you a task because I have authority. I'm not influencing you to go do something. I'm not influencing you or inspiring you to go do great things. I'm telling you what to do because that you said it, the Brian principle, I've run out of influence and now all I have left is authority. And, and, And that's when you've totally lost it. And what usually happens on really high task people is they're sitting there saying, why, why isn't this working? You know, I've been successful so far. Why isn't this working? And unfortunately, what they do is, un- unlike a high influence leader, when they get frustrated and otherwise, they don't let people know it. They say, you know, how do I own this situation to be more influential? Um, that task leader becomes a hammer. And they they get angry, and yep. they so become overly directive. Uh, and boy, you gotta you gotta learn this this stuff. If if we've got time, I'll give you one other. Just it it's a it's a saddening example. But I was hired by one of the 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 think tanks, education think tanks, who were spending lots of money on urban districts. You know, lots of grants and money. Hey, Bill, we want you to go into seven districts in particular. And tell us whether we're wasting our money. Is that all those millions of dollars we're spending doing anything? Now, bottom line was, no, they're not. There was one one school district, maybe a bit. And so I have a program that in a day, it's called um, initiative and program mapping. In a day, I can literally look at everything that you're doing and tell you whether you you know you, it's worth it. You're getting outcomes. You're not getting outcomes. Um, is your energy too diluted or going on? And as you probably know, common sense would say most people can only work on one to three new things at any one time. So classic. This is an example. It may sound extreme, but it's been very common. I go into one large urban district, and we go through the process, and and we find out that they've got a hundred different initiatives on the board being, uh, you know, money being spent from grants on to improve student outcomes. And this is beyond the daily doing the do, right? Now, this is a new reading program. This is a new math program. This is a new this or that or whatever. They've got a hundred. And and part of this is all saying, well, you've got a hundred programs. First of all, they don't realize it. So when they see they've got a hundred initiatives, an initiative is something that's only been on the board for maybe two years. So you really don't have enough time to measure impact in, in an accurate fashion. So the first thing they do is they sit there and they say, oh, my goodness, I didn't know, I had, know we had all these things going on. Um, and by the way, every initiative has a team or two. So now we're talking about 100, 200 teams. Um, people don't show up for the teams. They don't have the energy. They don't have the time. You know, you, you, all of these things. And so... Um, and I give them. I ask them to give a grade to these. How well are these initiatives doing? A, just old school. A B C D F. The initiatives are doing D and F. 
okay, so you get 100, they're not being executed at a DNF level. How does that feel? You know, okay, not so great, right? So then we look at programs, and we call programs things that have been in place for maybe, you know, um, initiatives are one to two years, programs are three to four years. So you should be starting to institutionalize these new programs and getting measures. Okay, this same district had 50 programs. How are they doing? C's and D's, no A's, all C's and D's. So I'm sitting there and then we do a gallery exercise because we've got all of these things listed on the wall, all of the initiatives and programs. And I, and I give them dots. Everybody loves dots, sticky dots, right? And, and I say to them, I, the red dots on the program or initiative, you know, tell me that's something that should go away, that will help you focus you know, keep your energy on the right stuff for kids. Um, yellow dot means that you should postpone it or combine it with something else. Uh, green dot, you're going to give it more energy. Uh, blue dot, you're going to maintain. And there was a couple other dots. So they've got 150 initiatives and programs up there. Guess how many of them had red dots? You just should drop it. I'm, I'm going to just say a lot. Really? I was going to say the opposite. Like they don't recognize. They don't recognize it. it, Even with all of that, they had all the data they needed to make a decision. But here's leadership. In this room were 50 people, including public officials, the superintendent, parents, students, everything. Nobody. And in particular, the superintendent couldn't make a decision as even if they said, well, I'm putting a, a red dot on it and we'll investigate it. No, they couldn't decide, even with all the data and recognizing they were in a hole they were never going to get out of unless they made some leader dis- leadership decisions on where our focus is and you know, change how we do business. I have found that in every district that I've worked in, which are numerous except one. So tell me, how do we get out of the hole we're in right now as far as kids not making it? Got to first admit you have a problem, right? Isn't that like step one? I think that's step one. Most of the things <laughs> yeah, I talked yeah, about, right? Right, yeah. I got but, a problem. I'm going to yeah, look at that here. Then how do you get off the dime, leader? But because you don't have leaders who understand what their role is, who have to take risks, who have to make tough decisions, uh, it, nothing happens. So you say, why, why is it we keep spending the money? And well, it's that task mindset of trying to do the tasks better, putting other things, people on, on other people's plates, do this better, please. And it's the inability to see the world through a leadership lens. I could chat with you all day as we begin to wrap things up. Um, is there anything that you had your heart on talking to our audience about today that you didn't get a chance to share or just something? final thoughts that we can kind of gleam onto, you know, those last final things that, that are important that you want, you want to make sure everybody remembers. Open your mind to the whole world of influence and seeing the world in a different lens, I think is, is really, really important. And I've got to admit how to do that needs some guidance. Um, if you don't do it, uh, you, 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 it's like school boards. It's like all the conflict that we see. 
leaders have to understand the motivators for people to to you know be crazy as well as be productive and keep in mind that we've got three brains you've got a brain that just keeps you alive your metabolism breathing you've got another brain which is called the limbic system is where the home of all the feelings are the emotions you know that's where the learning takes place but that's a jekyll and hyde uh that uh, part of you is where hate resides as well as love. And if you allow your limbic system to drive your behavior as a filter, you're in real trouble. And and that's what's going on in the world right now. People forget they've got a prefrontal cortex, which says, let me look at data. Let me try to put my my limbic system to the side for a moment and think and become, you know, empathetic and listen deeply to what other people have to say. So you've really got to, you know, think. You've got to appreciate data, make data-based decision-making. And you, and once again, you know, back to those different need sets, people need to be heard, valued, and cared for. That's your job. And that's the job of the leader to help people to do that. Otherwise, your, limb, your limbic system takes over and people just fight and kill and do all sorts of crazy stuff. But that's part of the sophistication is understanding a little bit of brain science along with this immersion into the influence world. Oh, my goodness. Oh, amazing, great stuff. Bill, thank you so, so much for uh, sharing your wisdom today. Um, I'm inspired. Uh, I hope that uh, I hope that uh, the rest of you are as well. Could you do me a favor? Could you uh, let our audience know some of the things you're working on and how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, best bet is to, um, they can email me directly at Bill Bryan, that's B-I-L-L-B-R-Y-A-N at T as in T, B as in Bill, uh, G as in group. Uh, so Bill Bryan at tbgleaders.com. Um, they can also do that at info at tbgleaders.com. And we always try to get back to people within 24 hours. So if nobody picks up uh, or uh, otherwise, uh, I guess the email would be the best way rather than phone at this point. Cool. cool. And I'm sure they can find you on LinkedIn. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, sure, we'll yeah. put all those. We'll put all of that into the show notes, everybody. Again, fascinating stuff. Thank you so much, Danielson. Yes, Scott. Could you do me a favor and let our audience know how they can get a hold of us? Absolutely. All right, party people. If you haven't already, email us at nerds at thelearningnerds.com. Email us any questions you may have. Join in on the discussion. Tell us about a story. Tell us about a time when you practiced what you think are good leadership qualities or maybe when you didn't. We'd love to hear more. If you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. For all of our Instagram peeps, you can find us at Fab Learning Nerds. And lastly, for more information about us, what we do, and updates about us, go to www.thelearningnerds.com. Back at you, Scott. Thanks, Dan. Hey, everybody, do me a favor. Could you hit that subscribe button? Share this podcast out with your friends. We greatly appreciate it. If you feel inclined, one of the things that could really help us out, leave a review, whether you're getting this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or any one of those podcast catchers. It really helps get our information out to more people, uh, more great information like we had today. 
with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. And I'm Bill. And we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out.